There'll be no sadness, no sorrow, no trouble I see. There will be peace in the valley for me. folks, Jeff Salzman here and welcome to the Daily Evolver. Well, Peace in the Valley was the plan anyway, um, in summer slowdown on the Daily Evolver and ramp up on my garden and looking forward to a blissful summer working and tending my garden. But God is too good to ever give us what we want, at least not in the way we want it. So peace was not in the cards. Instead, my garden has been visited by the specter of menace. And if you gather around now, I will tell you the story. It all started about a year ago, early spring of last year, when I was working in my back garden. And my back garden is up against an alley and is surrounded by a, about a five-foot-high privacy fence that you can't see through. It's got a gate. And I was working back there. And all of a sudden, my little pug, Gracie, charges the gate and starts barking and growling and scratching. And, you know, it's somebody walking their dog by. She doesn't do that often. We're not usually back there, but there she was. And, you know, almost before I could figure it all out, I hear this bang against my gate. Uh, somebody had kicked it is what I surmised, but I just had a natural reaction of, hey. And I walked up and looked over the gate to see what was going on because I wasn't exactly sure. And I saw this guy walking his dog down the alley and he was walking fast and steadily and, and he had his finger up and he was giving me the finger and he looked back at me and we had eye contact. And I knew who he, who he was, sort of. I mean, he had been in the neighborhood and I had seen him be kind of rough with his dog a time or two. And uh, he's kind of, a, he's a scowling presence in the neighborhood. And I thought, oh shit, you know, I wish I hadn't looked over the gate. He saw me, I see him, and now maybe I have an enemy in the neighborhood. And, you know, it was a little upsetting. I figured and hoped it was a one-off thing. But again, God is too good. God is too generous. And I think it was maybe a week or so later, Chuck and I were walking the dogs. We had them on a leash and we exited out the back gate into the alley and he was coming up with his dog, maybe 20 feet away. And my pug sees his dog. And before I know it, she's pulled the leash out of my hands and she's running to his dog. And he goes into this thing of, hey man, control your dog. He's coming at me. Hey man, get your dog. Your dog's out of control. And he's fake cringing and pulling his dog up close as my pug races to his dog, about a medium sized, nice dog. And they sniff each other and she runs off looking for what she really cares about, which is food. So I'm dashing to get her. I don't say anything. Uh, Chuck's sort of just in shock. He doesn't know anything about any of this. And, um, and I get Gracie, and the guy breaks away and walks away. And, and that was upsetting. At this point, I knew I had an enemy in the neighborhood. And, you know, that's hard for me. That's hard for anybody. But I'm an anxious guy. I'm a fear type on the Enneagram. 
And I could just feel my body tingle and be pumping with adrenaline. And, um, you know, I thought, shit, I'm going to have to live with this. And this is a violation of my plan for peace and quiet. This is last year. So a couple weeks went by. I didn't see him. I sort of convinced myself that he would be embarrassed that his sort of what I saw as bad theatrics, it was obvious to me, and, you know, that he would sort of just uh, slink away. And Chuck said, no, that's not what's going to happen. And he was right, it turns out. It became the summer of what I would call mild harassment. Anytime I saw him, he would give me the finger or say, fuck you, asshole. And he would walk by the picket fence in the front and hold his fingers up the whole time looking at me as he walked by. And if I had guests and we were in the front patio, he might yell, hey, your dogs are harassing me. This sort of thing. So... How did I handle it? Pretty well, in the sense that I did a lot of work on it. Um, first of all, I just allowed myself to feel what I was feeling. So I watched myself be fearful, and I felt what fear was, and where it was in my body, and what its contractions were like, and how it moved. And I watched myself fantasize about getting back at him, and what I should have said, and and you know, finding somebody to beat him up. And I felt my fear of what he might do to me and uh, how it might escalate and how it might hurt my dogs or whatever it was. So I allowed that to be, tried to see it as object instead of subject. In other words, see it instead of be it. And that itself is a powerful spiritual practice. It's the core of contemplative work in general. And I would say integral work in particular. And then second, I would say I asked for help, not from people. I'm not very good at that, actually. But I asked for help from God or whoever it is who is in charge of me. Um, and I have this sense that there's a group of people that are, you know, uh, one of their assignments is Jeff, and that they will respond to me if I ask for the right things in the right way. And that has actually worked for me. Then I just sort of tried to reframe the whole thing. I think that gave me enough space where I could move out of this sort of reflexive thing that we are all in to a degree, which is that whatever it is that's happening that we don't want, that shouldn't be happening. And it's awful that it is, and I can't stand it, and somebody needs to be condemned. And I shifted that to, you know, this is what's happening to me. Why should I be immune to harassment? I'm a human being in a world of human beings. And if I think about the degree of harassment that people suffer in this world, in war zones, and good Lord, everywhere, actually, um, I realize that this is probably, you know, a 0.78 on a 10 scale in terms of intensity. So that helped me, you know, that I can handle this. And I think that gave me the space to do an even more advanced practice. And that is, I tried to empathize with him. And I could actually, I mean, I could actually see myself in him. He looks like I did at his age a bit. And I can remember walking around in just free floating hostility that could easily turn into that kind of aggression you know, or kick a gate you know, and give somebody the finger. Um, and so, you know, I related to him in a way. 
And then I tried to do some Tong Lin, which is the Buddhist practice of exchanging self for other, where you breathe in the suffering of another person and breathe out some form of relief. I always love Pema Chodron. She says, breathe out hot chocolate. You know, so, and so I did, you know, I did it with him breathing in his pain. You know, clearly he's not a happy person. And also, you know, another Buddhist teaching of just um, using your suffering as a portal of compassion for the suffering of others. So breathing in the suffering of other people who were in much worse shape than me in terms of being victimized. And, and then, you know, I also sought to figure out, so what's my role in this? And, you know, it's clear, my dogs are obnoxious. And in fact, Gracie, you need to come here and, and apologize to everybody for not getting the pug memo on being phlegmatic and lugubrious, right? And then finally, I just was strategic. It's like, I, what do I have to do to protect myself? What do I have to do to resolve this? You know, how do I respond to this? The main thing I wanted to figure out was just who am I dealing with here? Am I dealing with a bully? You know, just somebody who likes tormenting other people and will up the ante if they think they can? Or am I dealing with somebody who is justifying his bad behavior by casting himself as the victim of another store of me, actually. And I could see both explanations being plausible, but I wasn't sure who I was dealing with. I'd rather deal with the second than the first. I don't want to deal with the, you know, the mayhem guy if I can help it. So, you know, at any rate, I was, you know, contemplating, should I call my lawyer? Do I call the police? What would Judge Judy say? Is this enough to involve a restraining order? Do I install a camera? Do I keep a camera handy, take his picture, let him see that I'm taking a picture, keep a record? I did actually follow him in my car one time when I saw him when I was driving home discreetly, you know, and I saw where he lived. So I knew that. I told Chuck and, um, you know, so I was just trying to figure out, so what do I do when the next time happens? And as I was considering this, I really did nothing. You know, I, I wasn't tormented by it. I was a little on guard. I was able to enjoy my summer. And, you know, I wanted to just let that be what happened and hope he grew up. And he was, you know, just somebody who was having a bad period. And he did seem normal. He didn't seem, dis he wasn't disheveled. He wasn't disoriented. He had a nice haircut, you know. So I was hoping for that. I don't know whether all my psychic interventions had anything to do with it or not, but it seems like things had been winding down. In fact, I don't think I had seen him in maybe three months until last Monday when I had four encounters with him in the space of about four hours. And this is where the plot thickens. It started in the morning, around maybe 10-ish in the morning, and I was out in the front yard, and the dogs were out with me, uh, Gracie the pug, the instigator, and my little chihuahua mix, Stella, who I should also show you. Stella, hang on. And here's Stella, and Stella is mostly a good girl, aren't you? Oh, you do. yes, you are. 
uh, except Gracie gets you going and then you start snar snarling and barking and you're just as bad. So here's what happened. The three of us, me and Stella and Gracie, were in the front yard. I was doing some work. And the front yard has the picket fence and outside the fence is a sidewalk. And there are people walking up and down all the time. And the dogs don't even pay attention unless there's another dog. And if there is, they'll bark and follow along and yap. And maybe the other dog will yap back. And it's a little bit of mayhem. And I usually yell out, sorry. And the people smile and say, no worry. And sometimes they cross the street. And occasionally I'll get a scowl, but it's not a big problem. And so I'm working and I didn't see him at first. And I saw the form, he was just about past the property and the dogs didn't notice either, strangely enough, because he was walking his dog, but they caught him at the very end and uh, barked a couple times and he came back and there he was. And I looked at him and I thought, oh shit, he didn't move, he's still here. And he's looking at me and he says, why don't you keep your dogs from harassing people? And it was kind of half normal. And I responded as honestly, I said, I don't think I can. You know, what I wanted to explain was I have them contained in a fence. People walk by, you're free to walk elsewhere, you know, the whole bit. But I just said, I don't think I can. And I don't think I can. And he said, that's because you're an asshole, asshole. And then he walks by again. And oh, I could just feel my body move into that sort of fear response again. And oh, Lord. And, you know, it wasn't another minute until he walks back again. And now he's, you know, he's not just walking by, he's coming back and he's looking for trouble. And he again goes into a tirade about what an asshole I am. He calls me Mr. Ass. I remember that. I don't remember all the details, but a lot of obscenities, a lot of finger. And, you know, and he turns around and walks the other way and he's gone. And I guess he said his piece, but I was left with the consequences, which was basically, a, you know, pretty quick at least, uh, but full recapitulation of everything I'd felt last summer about this, you know, the fear in my body, the anger, the idea of this shouldn't be happening. This is the summer I was really going to enjoy my garden. And now I've got this guy ruining my peace of mind. And, and again, I prayed, I said, God, I don't know who you are, or, you know, exactly. And or spirit guides, whoever you are, if you're in charge of me, do what you can to help me deal with this, and give me guidance. And, um, I'm not sure I got to a lot of the empathy and Tong Lin quite, but you know, I was trying to deal with myself and I decided I would do something I don't normally do, which is I would ask for the help of another person <laughs> and talk about my troubles with somebody. I decided I'd call my friend Brian, who is my, we call ourselves our, the Kalyana Metta, which is the Buddhist term for spiritual friend. And we have been that for each other for. 30 plus years. And um, so I called him, but oh, oops, it turns out I misdialed. I, I, I pressed the wrong speed dial and I got my, my friend Maria. And I wasn't sure I wanted to talk to Maria about this. 
Uh, I talked to her about a lot of things. She's a very wise woman. She's helped me enormously. I love her to death. But in this case, Maria, you know, she's a fighter. And I felt like I already had that fight thing going. My nervous system was already overloaded. And I think I was looking for something a little more Buddhist. But God made me misstyle. And I thought, well, great then. Let's just have a nice visit with Maria. And that might just be what the doctor ordered. And so we were talking. And she asked me about a book that I'm listening to that we had talked about on the Punic Wars, which are a series of wars between Rome and Carthage way back when. And, you know, talk about mayhem and carnage. So we're talking about that. And then she says to me, and sort of closing on the topic, she says, well, at least you're not at war in your sweet little neighborhood. Word for word. And I, you know, I thought, okay, God, I guess you want me to talk to her. And so I did. I told her the whole story, and she listened raptly. And at the end of it, when I asked her, what do you think I had to do? She gave really good advice. She said, why don't you try your integral stuff? She literally said that. And approach them with a sense of curiosity uh, instead of condemnation or criticism. And just ask them, you know, what's going on with you? You know, I'm not your enemy. What's up here? And I felt myself deeply relax and my heart was lifted. I had a little bounce in my step. I felt confident and strong. And, um, you know, it turns out actually that I didn't have to wait long for the next chapter, about an hour, as it turns out. And I was in the backyard this time. I am taking some garbage out to the garbage can and I come up to the back gate and I look over and there he is walking by again. And I recoil a little bit, but I thought, no, I'm gonna step forward into this. And I did. And I leaned over the fence and I said, well, look who's back. And he looked at me and I said, do you wanna have a conversation? And he briefly smiled and I briefly smiled back. I wasn't sure his wasn't an evil smile, but I did smile back. And I think I started by saying something like, I'm sorry my dogs are annoying. And that really didn't slow him down much. He came at me with, you know, I don't know how you allow this to continue. You're harassing the neighborhood. Uh, people like you shouldn't even have dogs, I remember him saying. Uh, he says, I walk my dogs all over this neighborhood, and you're the only one who allows his dogs to do that, and you're an asshole. And, okay, so, you know, I'm hearing it. I'm spacious. I'm not feeling afraid. I do have a five-foot privacy fence between me and him. And, um, and I said back to him, so, you know, there's this whole neighborhood. Why don't you just avoid me and don't walk by my house? And... That did stop him for a millisecond. I, I saw him hesitate, but he quickly recovered with, I shouldn't have to. And so then I moved into the limit setting that I said, you are harassing me. My dogs are annoying you. You're harassing me. I want it to stop. And I said it in that way that you know implies that I want to be making it official here and I'm going to be keeping track. And of course, he came back. I'm not harassing you. Your dogs are harassing me. And you're an asshole. And no, I don't want to have a conversation with you because I don't want to have, nobody wants to have a conversation with an asshole. 
asshole. I remember that specifically. And then he turned and walked away, giving me a finger the whole time. So all of that left me feeling strangely happy in a way. First, I was relieved. I realized he was a number two. He wasn't the Joker in Batman who just wanted to see the world burn. He was somebody who had a story running about him being the victim of me and that I was the menace of the neighborhood, which he was protecting. And I marveled as I realized this, that it's exactly the same story I had about him. <laughs> uh, but in second, I, again, I was proud of myself because I didn't go into fear. I you know, said what I had to say. I laid down the limits and I had a plan. And so I got on with my day feeling, you know, a little again, a little more bounce in my step. And, um, and again, God is good and kept the story rolling. So here we are, maybe an hour later, we're maybe mid-afternoon here now. And I had a couple friends over and Chuck was here. And we were moving some furniture around in the back patio. And I see over the back gate, again, the high privacy fence, um, I see over the back gate, the haircut coming up. And I thought, hey, Lord, but you know, at least I got my, my peeps with me. And, and uh, you know, at any rate, they can testify if I ever get into legal trouble. And all of this goes through my mind as I see him approaching again. And then I hear him. And he says, I come in peace. Hmm. Okay, I come in peace. And that was interesting. And I walked up and I looked over the gate and there he was smiling. And he looked at me and he said, I came back because I want to apologize. He said, this isn't me. This isn't who I am. And I have been sitting at my kitchen chair for the last hour wondering if I can live with myself if I don't come back and apologize. So here I am. And I'm sorry. And wow. It was, and then, you know, the, I wondered, is he setting me up? I didn't know what was going on. But the face was, um, you know, friendly and smiling and good eye contact. And it was a good apology. You know, it was exactly what you would want in an apology. And I was thrilled and relieved. And I remember the first thing I said, well, God bless you. You know, I channeled my gold great aunt Ada. And I thanked him and I opened the gate and, you know, again, I said, I know my dogs are a pain. And, um, and he said, nah, he said, you know, maybe I could help you with that at some point. But he quickly abandoned the idea that he was going to be my dog trainer. And he said, but, you know, I'm not, that's not why I'm here. I'm just here to apologize. And um, I'm sorry that I acted that way. And I don't remember who held out their hand first, but we shook hands. He introduced himself. He told me his name. He told me his address, which, by the way, was the correct address because I did know that. And I introduced myself and there was a few more nice words, you know, very few actually, but he, you know, turned and left. And again, it was relatively short, but a very, very skillful apology. So I walk away thinking, first of all, Thank you, God and spirit guides. And wow, I can't believe that. How did the world did that happen? And my friends who had heard 
really, my friends had heard none of this, and Chuck knew very little, were like, what was that? And I explained it briefly, but just went on with my life in a certain awe. This is just a couple of days ago, I'm still in awe. Um, I'm still processing and, and still observing myself processing. And, you know, a couple of things have sort of creeped back, like my anger about, you know, how I was victimized over the last year plus. And, you know, a little bit of, wait a minute, that apology doesn't wipe that away. And so I feel that sort of anger strata, that red strata wanting to get back at him still. And, um, and then just sort of an intelligence around that that says, you know, that was a good apology, but he could be bad guy again anytime. Clearly he's capable of it. And I don't know whether he went home and took a pill or he called his therapist or whether, you know, his, his conscience, you know, got the best of him, which is what he said happened. I don't know. But the last thing to come online so far has been my sort of like shock and shame at my own neighborly obnoxiousness. I mean, my dogs wait in ambush for people walking their dogs and they leap out and snarl and bite. And, you know, it does, it is jarring to your nervous system. I get it. Uh, but I thought it was worth it because it would give my dog some stimulation. And, you know, most people were nice about it. But yesterday, actually, and again, God sends this woman and, with her dog. And my dogs do this. And, you know, and I say, sorry, I'm right there by the fence. And she said, every time I do this, they get me and they surprise me. And she wasn't saying it with amusement. She was saying it with a certain exasperation. And it got me. And so maybe I am the neighborhood nuisance. And so actually thinking this, uh, I came up with the solution that was sort of obvious and has really, so far, I mean, 24 hours into it, helped. And that is I went to the hardware store and got these little two foot wide fence things that you can just stick in the ground. And I placed five or six of them strategically in their run zone. And it was fun to see them get thwarted in their, you know, their little antics. So I think that might slow them down. And um, at any rate, I'm just going to be more careful. My dogs get plenty of stimulation. And I have to say in closing that I do linger on the power of prayer in this lesson. Does it work? I mean, did my spirit guides affect the reality uh, beyond, you know, the sort of working with my own heart, and my own state, my own mind? Uh, did my spirit guides conspire with his spirit guides? I don't know. I don't rule any of that out. I really don't. And all I can say is, you know, I'm not sure that prayer isn't pretty reliable to the degree that we are asking for guidance and asking to be obedient to the higher purpose and to, you know, God. I'm not sure that that doesn't work at all levels of suffering. And of course, there are, you know, many stories of people befriending their captors and forgiving their torturers. And, you know, it's far more extreme on both sides than what I experienced. But I'm all in on prayer. <laughs> I just wish I would remember to do it more than, you know, 
three times a year and always in a foxhole of one kind or the other. You know, I mean, I'd like to actually make it part of my life. Maybe I will. And in order to do that, I think like most of us, I have to fight that center of gravity that is secular and materialistic and rational. You know, I mean, you don't need a God to figure this out. It's just praying predisposes you. It opens your mind. It calls forth within your own psyche, uh, you know, a new kind of attitude and new kind of space and love. And that's all just happening inside the system of Jeff and whatever. And that could be, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know, but I, I feel bigger and more alive if I let in the idea that it's something personal and that there are, there's a loving intelligence that sees me and loves me and sees my friend up the street and loves him and helped us out. So we'll see how the story continues. Uh, will he become my dog trainer? I don't know. Anyway, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time for another edition of The Daily Evolver. We'll have Randy Travis play us out. There will be peace in the valley for me someday. There will be peace in the valley for me, oh Lord, I pray. There'll be no sadness, no sorrow, no trouble I see. There will be peace in the valley.